Would you take your pew Bibles with me and turn to Hebrews chapter 1? It's on page 967 in your pew Bibles. And would you stand with me? And we are going to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 967. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word and that it continues to speak to us. Uh, Lord, you know each and every heart in this place today, every man and woman and child that is here Uh, Lord, you know exactly where they are, and you know exactly what word you need to bring to them. And so, Lord, may you give us open ears, open hearts, open minds to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last few weeks during this this Advent season, we have been uh, talking about the different anointed leadership offices in the life of Israel. There were three different kinds of leaders that were uniquely chosen and commissioned directly by God to lead his people. And those were the prophets and the priests and the kings. And the role of the prophets was to, to reveal God's truth to Israel, to bring God's word to people, to shed light into darkness and confusion, and to show the way to faithfulness. The role of the priests, the priests were called and equipped by God to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. Uh, We talked about a couple weeks ago that when people sin, they would bring an animal to the temple and the priest would sacrifice the animal on the altar in the place of that person. Our our sin is real. The, The consequences of our sin is death. And a person would come to the temple and bring that animal to the altar and they would place their hand on that animal. And that animal was killed there in front of them, and it was a reminder of the bloody consequences of our sin. The priests, among other things, were called to make sacrifices so that people could draw near to the presence of God. And today we're going to be talking about the role that kings played in the Old Testament. When we read about these leaders in the Old Testament, all of them had this specific calling by God. They were anointed to carry out these tasks that would enable God's people to walk faithfully with him. It would enable them to draw near to him. And we see throughout Israel's history that often there were faithful kings and faithful prophets and faithful priests who did their job well and who sought out God's direction. And they were, uh, through, with God's help, able to lead God's people to faithfulness. And we know in the Old Testament story that there were many times when they failed to carry out that task that God had given to them. And so in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews that we just read from, we're told that Jesus is the anointed one who has come and who has fulfilled all of these roles of prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet that all of the other prophets spoke about. 
He is the, the priest that ultimately and finally made the sacrifice that we needed. And today we are going to be seeing that he is the anointed king who is exactly the kind of king that the world needs. So let's begin by talking about the role of the, old, uh, the kings in the, in the Old Testament. If you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that the idea of kingship in Israel was, was a bit of a rocky one, right? Uh, in the book of Sam, we, re- we read that the people rejected God as their king and asked that they could have a human king. We want a king like all the other nations. We want to be just like all the other nations around us. And so, Lord, give us a king. And so he did give them a king, but it was kind of as a concession to them because they asked for it. He knew it wasn't what was best for them, but it's what they asked for, and he gave it to them. And we see that it didn't go very well, right? From the very beginning, we have King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and he had a couple good moments early on, but things didn't go very well after that. In his own life, in his own personal morality, in the way that he led Israel, it didn't go well. And then there's King David, who was by far the greatest king that Israel ever had, but we know that in his own life, he failed in a number of ways, both personally and morally, as well as the way that he led Israel. David's son Solomon, again, had some good moments and some ways that he did lead people to worship, the right worship of God, but eventually his kingdom and his reign spiraled down and down as he began to be distracted by the things of the world. And from that point on, the kingdom divides between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And as you read through the books of Kings and Chronicles, uh, you'll know that there were very few good kings in Israel and in Judah, in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, it's interesting that in the book of Deuteronomy, which actually was written uh, many years before Israel ever had a king, uh, God gives some instructions for what kings should do and what they should, how they should rule. So if you turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. So these are instructions about how the kings are supposed to rule and reign in Israel. It says this, that when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settle in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king, the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt and get more of them, for the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. The king must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all of the words of the law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his brothers, and turn from the law to the right or to the left." Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So God says to the kings, when you come, make sure that you limit your power. 
Make sure that you limit your wealth, that you limit your property. And when you take the throne, that you will dwell in the law of God God every day so that you will lead God's people in the right way. As we watch the history of the kings of Israel, they do precisely the opposite of this, right? They seek their own interests. They build their own wealth. They are thirsty for power, and they don't serve the people. And in the book of Ezekiel, there, uh, Ezekiel the prophet, he sends a message about the failure of the kings of Israel. And that's in Ezekiel chapter 34. And we're going to spend some time here this morning. Ezekiel chapter 34. And Ezekiel writes about the failures of the kings of Israel. And here in, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel describes the kings as shepherds, or they are meant to be shepherds. Ezekiel chapter 34 He describes here how the shepherds, the kings of Israel, the leaders of Israel, how they failed to lead God's people in the way that God intended. Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak and healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for the flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. The kings here described were shepherds of Israel, and they only cared for themselves. They considered themselves better than their brothers, exactly what Deuteronomy said that they shouldn't be. They thought they were better than them. They hoarded wealth for themselves. They did not care for the weak. But a shepherd, a shepherd is the the image that God desires for his king. The king that God had in mind for his people is not a king who who sits on a throne far off and away from his people. God's ideal king is not a king who just manages projects from his throne. The kind of king that God has in mind for his people is a true shepherd king. A king that dwells with his sheep. A king that meets the needs of the sheep that he is with who binds up the brokenhearted, who heals the lame, and who strengthens the ones that are weak, a king that will be able to be what the people ultimately need. 
And so listen to the promises that God makes. Because the kings of Israel, because the shepherds of Israel were not faithful, this is the promise that God makes to them. Verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flocks, flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God says that because these human kings failed, I myself will become the shepherd king that my people need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in any want. The promise here in Ezekiel is that he would be the kind of king that we need by coming and binding up our wounds by seeking out those who are lost, that he would come as a servant to us, that he would take those who are injured and hurting and bring healing and wholeness into their lives. The promise here in Ezekiel is that God himself will come and shepherd his people and be the king that the whole world needs, a king who loves us in this way. This promise... This promise made by Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 34 is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and made his dwelling with us. At one point in his ministry, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, right? John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and I protect my sheep from those who want to destroy them. I am the good shepherd who brings life to my sheep. I am the good shepherd who lives closely with my sheep so they can hear my voice and that my sheep will know the sound of my voice. I will live so closely with them that they will hear my voice and know it. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. And throughout his ministry, he went about showing what his kingdom would be like, what his rule as a shepherd king would be like. Those who were hurting were made whole. Those who were blind were able to see. Those who were deaf could hear. Those who were lame could walk. The broken had their wounds bound up and were made whole again. Jesus is the anointed king. The anointed shepherd king promised in Ezekiel chapter 34. Isn't that a beautiful chapter? About the kind of shepherd king that Jesus is for us. Prophet, priests, and kings. Each of these leadership roles in Israel had their own part to play in helping God's people draw near to him and to experience his presence. 
Remember from a couple weeks ago, I said that the primary problem that all of us have is that our sin causes us to be separated from the presence of God. And the whole Bible tells us how God is at work to make it possible for us to be with him again. And as you look at the tasks of the prophets and the priests and the kings, each of them had their own way that they were anointed by God to help people draw near to God. What we've seen in these last few weeks during Advent is that Jesus takes up each one of these roles into his own ministry. He is the anointed prophet, and he is the anointed priest, and he is the anointed king. He is the anointed prophet because he was not only a man who spoke words about God, but he was, John 1 says, the word of God. He is the revelation of God in flesh and blood. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. We want to know what his word is to us. We listen to Jesus's words. As the anointed priest, he became not only a man who would make sacrifices on behalf of other people, but Jesus became the sacrifice himself for us. The other sacrifices were not sufficient to fully take away the sin of the people, but he himself became the perfect and final sacrifice for all sin. And as the anointed king, he did not become a king who only looked after his own interests, who was only concerned about himself and his own wealth, but he became a king who looked after the interests of others. A king who would come and live with us and become a servant to us. Jesus is a prophetic, priestly king. And because he took up all of these roles of the Old Testament leadership, a prophet, priest, and king, because he took up all of those and fulfilled all of them, he then is able to be our savior. Because in order to be saved, we need the revelation of God provided to us by Jesus the prophet. In order to be saved, we need the sacrifice that was made by him, Jesus the priest. And in order to live a holy and righteous life, We need his guidance and his leadership as Jesus the king. Because he is the prophet, priest, and king, he is our savior. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Do you remember who those words were spoken to? Shepherds. Spoken to those shepherds on the hillside, keeping watch over their flocks by night. It's no wonder that God sent his angels first to shepherds. These were men who lived with their sheep, who went to seek after their sheep when they were lost. Whenever one of their sheep was wounded, those shepherds would bind up their wounds. They were men who led their sheep into green pastures and by still quiet waters. And God was sending a shepherd king into the world, and so shepherds would probably be the first ones to be able to recognize him. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, shepherds. And this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger will be grown up will grow up to be known as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. I want to finish today by by showing us how Jesus shows himself most clearly as prophet, priest, and king when he goes to the cross. 
the prophet's role was to reveal, to uncover, to shed light, to tell the truth about God and about ourselves and about our world. And on the cross, Jesus, the anointed prophet, reveals the truth about all of these things. He reveals the truth about our sin. Our sin leads to separation from God. On the cross, what did Jesus cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt the experience of separation from God as our sin was placed on his shoulders. He reveals to us the truth that our sin separates us from God. On the cross, the anointed prophet Jesus reveals to us the truth about the wrath of God against sin. Our sin leads to death. When a man brought a lamb into the temple to be slaughtered, they they placed their hand on the head of that lamb as a reminder that their sin leads to death and that lamb was going to die in their place. On the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God reveals the truth about our sin, that sin leads to death, that the punishment and consequence of sin is death. And on on the cross, the anointed prophet Jesus revealed the truth about God's love. He showed that his love for us goes so far that he himself would come and die for us and bear the weight of the consequences of our sin. And as his arms were stretched out wide on that cross, it's an image of his loving welcome to whosoever will come. And there are many of you today who have grown up believing that God is in heaven, looking down on earth, looking down at your life with a grumpy face and with crossed arms. But Jesus the prophet on the cross reveals that his arms are wide open for you ready to embrace anyone who will come. Jesus reveals himself as the anointed prophet as he reveals the truth about God and ourselves on the cross. Jesus, the anointed priest, makes his priestly role most clear as he dies on the cross. He is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is a priestly king as this cross that he hangs on becomes a throne. On the cross, there is a thief next to him who somehow realizes that this man hanging on the cross, that this man is a king. Jesus, may I be with you when you come into your kingdom. The cross is not only a revelation of Jesus' humiliation, It's a revelation of his exaltation. He was lifted up high onto the cross. He was king, not after he ascended to heaven. He was king as he hung there on the cross, sacrificing himself as a shepherd king for his people. And Jesus shows himself to be the great servant king as he came to conquer sin and death for us by wearing a thorny crown. In Genesis 3, part of the curse of sin that God brought onto creation was that thorns would now be a part of our world. And on the cross, Jesus takes a thorny crown onto his own head. He takes the consequences of the curse upon himself. One author puts it this way, 
Jesus removes the curse by taking it onto himself. As Jesus wore the crown of thorns, he bore the curse of God. The thorns, which were a sign of the curse and defeat of Adam, are transformed into a sign of the kingship and victory of Jesus. Jesus is the king who reigns by bearing the curse of the people who he loves. Jesus is the king who reigns by bearing the curse of the people whom he loves. Earl, would you come forward? Um, I've asked Earl to come forward and to to recite, recite Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is an image, as you will hear, of the suffering Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Where are you today with this man, Jesus? This one who came as the anointed prophet to reveal his truth to us. As the anointed priest who went like a lamb to the slaughter for us. And who is the anointed king who leads us. Where are you today with him? 
Are you running from him? Are you hiding from him? Remember this week that this baby born in a manger has come to be your savior. Your savior. To save you from your sin. To rescue you from your death. And his arms are open wide for you today. This morning, if you need to respond in any way, uh, worship team, please come forward. I want to sing a song. If you want to respond in any ways, again, please come forward. Uh, If you'd like to pray with someone, please come here. If you'd like to pray on your own, come to this side. Father, we thank you for sending your son into the world that he may be prophet, priest, and king for us so that we could have a savior. Lord, I pray that we would know him today. Each one of us would know him particularly as our Savior, as my Savior, as the one who has rescued me from sin and death. Lord, I pray that each of us would know that today. In Jesus' name, amen.